And thank you, Tom, for leading us as Mike is away. Always a blessing. Thanks, brother. Yes. And uh, Tom. Tom and uh, Mallory have found an apartment, but unfortunately, it's all the way in Manchester. So that's going to be quite a commute for a little while. And then if the Lord calls you to the church closer there, then we'll grieve for a little while, but uh, we'll keep you as, as an honorary member of First Baptist forever. So we love you guys. All right, we're uh, going to jump into the scriptures. We're in Ephesians 4. I did miss a prayer request, by the way. The Melansons, uh, Jesse Melanson's been coming um, for, uh, has been coming to this church off and on for a long time. Her daughter, Trinity, had a pretty bad fall and has a slipped vertebrae. She's just a little girl, so let's make sure we're, we're lifting her in prayer uh, together. All right, uh, we had a wedding last night, so we had to clear the stage. So that's why we have rubble behind me. Uh, but I did see little Nate up here. Uh, working on something. He, he, he just jumped right in and said, no, we can't just have nothing. He just came right up here and started building a structure. So thanks for, uh, thank you for that, Nate. Nate, where's Nate? There he is. All right, buddy. Nice job. Like that. But after the service, kids can come up and uh, build us something for, for next week. I don't think there's anything going on this week where we should have to knock everything down uh, or, or remove it all this week. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Uh, we're talking about the book of Ephesians building a Jesus-centered community, like these blocks behind us. We're, we're trying to build something here by the grace of God as a church family. We're building a Jesus-centered community, which I think is what Ephesians is all about. It's all about the church. It's all about a congregation. And we learned last week that we are, as individuals, part of this community, strengthened by the love of God. Like the, the more we understand and comprehend and grasp God's love for us as His people, the stronger our faith uh, begins to grow. Well, today we're going to talk about maturing, uh, growing, maturing in Christ. And we're beginning the second half of the book of Ephesians. Uh, So one through three, roughly, uh, the first three chapters of this letter to the church in Ephesus are about gospel theology, uh, dealing with uh, clarifying what the gospel is all about, what God has done for us in Christ. These are just rough uh, this is a rough outline. And the last three chapters, four through six, we're starting today, is all about gospel life. What does the Christian life look like as a people who have been redeemed and saved and transformed by this very gospel? And so it makes sense that the very first section in 1 to 16 is about maturing in Christ. That a Jesus-centered community seeks maturity uh, in Christ. Like a healthy person... Has different stages of growth. You know, they start off as a newborn child, and then they get to a toddler, and then a little kid, and then teenagers, and on and on until they reach adulthood. So there's a sense in which that is what spiritually happens as well. That we're supposed to be maturing in the faith. Uh, this month, I turned 39 years old. I can't believe that. I feel like, man, I'm. A, I, I, you know, I just, I still don't feel like a. a, a Almost a 40-year-old. But I, I take comfort in one thing. Come next March, Jess will be in her 40s, and I'll be in my 30s. Because she'll be just, just crossing the line. So. so I can say, you're a 40-year-old, and I'm still a 30-year-old. Uh, but there are different, different stages in life. Well, a Jesus-centered community should be a place of maturing and growing in Christ. should never be a place that is stagnant. Which is what happens, I think, to a lot of local churches. They grow stagnant. They go years, perhaps, without a conversion. 
somebody coming to know Jesus for the first time, without baptisms, without sending people on mission trips, without people growing deeper in the faith. Instead, what he pictures here in Ephesians is a church that is growing and maturing in the faith. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. We'll have it on the screen as well. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A Jesus-centered community is one that is maturing in the faith in the Lord Jesus. There's an outline in your bulletin, as always. If you'd like to look on, we're going to start with verses 1 through 6, that we mature in faith by pursuing unity. We mature in faith by pursuing unity. He starts off and says, I, a prisoner for the Lord. So he starts off with a reminder that he is officially in prison because of his faith, because of the way he has been serving the Lord, because he's a Christian. In fact, I think the majority, if not the majority, but many of the letters that Paul writes, he writes from prison. He's in prison for his faith. And just as a reminder of uh, where he's writing from and the situation he's in, he's a prisoner. Uh, and he urges them to do what? To walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Uh, walk in a manner of worthy of the calling that they've been called to. Uh, what we've seen in the first three chapters, he's now saying, I am, I'm asking you, I'm calling you, I'm urging you to walk in a way that's in line with what God has done for you and the way that he has loved you. In fact, chapter uh, 4, verse 1, people say is not really just the, the theme verse of this section, but of the rest of the letter. So think of uh, chapter 4, verse 1 is really uh, the, the theme of the rest of Ephesians right to the end of chapter 6, saying this is what it means now to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. And he tells them here, verse 2, it means to walk in all humility and gentleness and patience and to bear with each other in love. These are all relational terms. Again, he sees the Christian life as not something that you do by yourself. 
It's not something that you're just sort of out there, you're a Christian, you have belief in Jesus, and you go it alone. No, it's something you do with a church family, with a Jesus-centered community. He says they are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I love that because the unity comes from the Holy Spirit. Unity is not something we create. We don't just get together and say, hey, let's be unified. God makes us one through Christ by His Spirit. But He says here, what you should do is to be eager to maintain that unity. To to be eager to maintain this bond of peace with one another. You should be pursuing unity in practice with one another. And then he gives us seven ones. (laughs) Seven ones. And really, uh, a lot of commentators have noted that you see the Trinity here. The first one, uh, ones is, first, uh, you have one body. We are one body as Christians. One spirit, one Holy Spirit, and one hope. All those relate, in a sense, to the Holy Spirit, to the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who makes the church one. He's the one who reminds us of the hope of our calling. Then you have the next three, which really refer to Jesus. One Lord meaning Christ, one faith in Jesus, and one baptism as we die to the old self and rise to the new. We symbolize that. And then the last one, the final of the seven, one God and Father of us all. Seven ones, because he's saying here, friends, here's the point. We are one as Christians. God loves unity. He loves when his creation is in unity. His creation is in line with Him and what He has created it to be. And He loves when His people, in particular, Christians, are united together and united with Him. Now don't misunderstand unity with conformity. He's not saying everybody should be the same. That everybody should be little clones of each other. That's not what He means. There is great diversity. In fact, he talks about that in the next section. Uh, There's plenty of diversity. God has given the church all different types of gifts, all different types of personalities, all different types of strengths and weaknesses. We're, We're not the same, but we're one. We're together. Like an orchestra. You know, in an orchestra, what do you have? You have the woodwinds, you have the brass, the percussion, and you have the strings, right? And then... Within each of those categories, you have all differences within the strings. You have the violin and the cello and guitars and, and all these different types of instruments within that. Like an orchestra that comes together, even though it's extremely diverse, they are harmonizing as one. In fact, the Trinity, which is mentioned here in these seven ones, is itself the ultimate example. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. The ultimate example of unity and diversity. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. And yet there is only one God. And we model that, friends, even as a church family as well. Uh, Jesus said, so even as we are one, Father, in prayer, so may you, the church, be one. I think this is the only explanation of the Trinity that really works. Maybe you've heard uh, the idea that the Trinity can be explained with water, ice, and steam. Not a good illustration. Uh, because H2O is either one or the other. It's not all three at the same time, right? So it doesn't really work. Or it's a three-leaf clover. You have three different parts, and, uh, but the leaves aren't, uh, make up one. It's not, they're not uh, separate enough. So you have all these different illustrations. None of them really work. The only one that I think works is the church. Because that's the one Jesus gave us. <laughs> he said, even as we are one, may you be one. How many people would you guess are here right now? Just, you know, in your mind, you throw it a number. Last week we had 139. Looks like a little less this week. Maybe like 100 people or so. 
How many churches are here? <laughs> Just one. <laughs> Just one. We're diverse in our membership, but we're united as one. Maturity means pursuing unity together. The unity that God has given us by His Spirit. Friends, when you look around at a church, and our church in particular, those who are pursuing unity, they're likely the mature ones in the congregation. The ones who are peacemakers, looking to bring people together. They're the mature ones in Christ. And the ones gossiping and quarreling and seeking to stir up division are most likely your most immature people in your church. Because maturity means pursuing unity. Now, it's not unity at all costs. Don't get me wrong. Important to say here. There are, at times, reasons to break uh, from the unity of a church. Uh, Hopefully none of these are the case. I believe none of these are the case here. Uh, One is if there is outright heresy, if the teaching of a church has gone astray, there's a time to leave a church in that situation. Uh, If there are major moral failures in a church, uh, perhaps you see such corruption in a church or moral failures in a church that there's a place to then leave a church. Uh, I know some of you guys have had to do that in, in the past or sometimes distance. Honestly, so we have people you you move away. Uh, We have people who've moved recently to Chicago or to Oklahoma and so forth. And what we say to them is, yeah, you can maintain your membership uh, as you look for a new church. But you really should be now looking for a new church. Get plugged in there and then move your membership. You're simply too far away to maintain uh, the unity here in our church family. But friends, the unity is the call of every church. Doesn't matter how big it is. You have a church of multiple thousands. This church is, you know, 10, 20,000 people. Are they unified? That's the real question, not how big are they. And there are churches of 10, 20 people. Is there a spirit of unity? And you find both. You find churches that are large and unified. You find churches that are small and unified. You find churches that are large and small and are full of division as well. Rich or poor, regardless of which neighborhood they're in or what nation they're in, the question is really, is there a spirit of unity in Christ, friends. When I look at our church, I'll give you my evaluation, and you, I've said this before, some of this, but I feel like our church has come very far on this. Now, let me give you some specifics. Um, I feel like we have grown in unity when it comes to music. I think there used to be more of a sense of discord about our worship, a demand for your own worship style, and a willing to fight tooth and nail to get your way, that's kind of gone away. Not everybody gets their way and gets their style, but there is a sense in which it's no longer an issue. We're joined together to worship. Criticism of leadership. (laughs) I think, again, is is much more of a spirit of support for your elders here now. Before, there was always, I felt like there was a sense of skepticism, of constant criticism instead of trust. I feel like that's changed here. I think our staff meetings, something you may not know, but our staff meetings have a spirit of unity that they didn't have before. I have to say, to be honest, I used to dread going to staff meetings here. <laughs> and I was the one who called them so, <laughs> and led them. Uh, but now there's a spirit of joy and unity in them. Our budget meetings, I feel like we're basically all on the same page. I think we all want to see more money given to missions. Uh, that's, that's not a criticism. That's something that we all desire and we hope we can can get there, but when it comes to how we're spending our resources, I feel like there's a spirit of unity. And friends, I would just say our structure now 
is more simple and unified as a church. Our bylaws and constitution, our ministries are sort of all together. Uh, most, almost all the ministries are under community groups now. Uh, they're all unified as one. And even our prayers, uh, when I see them on Wednesday nights and so forth, tend to have a spirit of unity. So I think there's real, genuine growth in the area of pursuing unity and recognizing our oneness in Christ. Look where he goes in verses 7 to 13. Uh, we mature in faith by leaders equipping us. And this is what James uh, Taylor just uh, referred to, by leaders equipping us, verses 7 to 13. He writes, we mature here by, by having good leaders equip us. Grace is given to each Christian. I think it's very important. He starts off saying, grace has been given to each of us. So it's not just about the leaders. Every Christian has been given a certain grace. And the grace he's talking about here is a spiritual gift, a unique spiritual calling, a spiritual talent, ability, skill, however you want to define it, that God has given you to use for the church to build others up in the faith. And he describes how Christ as the king ascended. I believe the reference here to ascending is a reference to the resurrection. Christ ascended from the dead, was raised up to heaven uh, after he descended. Uh, And now, what is he talking about? Christ's descent into the lower regions. It says, comma, the earth. You might have a translation that says the lower regions of the earth. And some have taken this to refer to a descent into hell. Uh, I don't think that's what he's referring to here. I think the most simple explanation is he's referring to the incarnation. That Christ, who, was, who is always the eternal Son of God, existed forever at the Father's right hand, but in the incarnation comes to dwell among us. And perhaps if a little step further than that, not just the incarnation, his descent into death itself, suffering and death on the cross. He descended and was ultimately ascended as the ruling king over sickness and Satan and sin and death. But the point he's making here is what does this reigning king, this triumphant king over death and over the descent, what does he do with his reign? What does he do with his ascension? He gives gifts. (laughs) He doesn't receive gifts. He gives gifts out to his people. And what are those gifts he refers here to specifically the gifts of leadership in the church? Because he's going to make the point here that we are equipped by leaders. He talks about different leaders. Uh, first, you have, you have, we have apostles and prophets. Uh, I think what he's referring to there is offices that perhaps no longer exist today. There aren't any apostles around anymore t- today. I know some traditions do believe they are, there are. I don't think that's what he's referring to. I think he's referring to those uh, who came, who knew the Lord Jesus in particular. So when we read the scriptures, that's the apostles and the prophets. We are equipped by them. Then he refers to evangelists. Those who are giving a specific gift to go and share the gospel where it has not yet been known. To bring the gospel to people who don't know it. I think of uh, Billy Graham, for example, or George Whitfield on a bigger sense. But perhaps on the local level, there are those two who are given this gift to go and share the gospel with non-Christians. That's their gifting. And then he refers to this last category, shepherds and teachers. And grammatically, there's a question, I, I believe those are the same group of people. It's, it's clearer in the Greek here, but the shepherds and teachers are one. He's talking about pastors, the church. And what is the goal? What is the calling of a pastor? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. The goal is to build up the body, to see unity of faith, to see people grow in a knowledge of the Son, meaning Jesus, to grow to mature manhood and to the full stature of Christ. 
But as we said, the, the work of ministry then is, is done by the body. A pastor equips people to do ministry. Ministry isn't done by the pastor alone. He is equipping people to do ministry to one another and to the community. The role of a pastor is not to do ministry in the place of a church. Not as a sort of hired gun to do ministry, but to equip you to do ministry. I think that's the difference between a priest and a pastor, by the way. Uh, I'm not a priest uh, any more than anyone else here is a priest, by the way. Although, here in New England, people do call me Father Rick sometimes. It just happens. Uh, But, uh, and I don't always correct them. Just let it go. It's fine. Uh, But uh, I'm a pastor, which means my job is not to do ministry for you as a priest would. You, You sort of give me your offering and I go between you and God. My job is to equip you all as a church family, and same as Mike, as one of your pastors and the elders, to equip the church family to do ministry towards one another. To help Christians mature, God gives good pastors and teachers to help you use your gifts, a good group of elders. I love this quote from Brian Chapel. He's the uh, seminary president. He writes this, Our different personalities... Abilities and experiences are gifts needed for every challenge the church will face. The Holy Spirit gives us different gifts for different purposes in the church. The sweet side of this reality is that we have complementary strengths, weaknesses, interests, and personalities. Uh, No one person can can deal with all the problems and all the issues and all the struggles that a church may face. God has given us that diversity for a reason. I mean, just think of just this morning. What do we have? We had uh, uh, Tom stepping in to lead us in worship. We have Josh talking about fixing uh, the roof and doing the work uh, of our business administrator. James giving us a report of him and Josiah hitting the streets there in New York. And on and on, we see a diversity of gifts in the body to deal with all the issues. And if you try to rely on just sort of a hired gun or two to do the work of ministry, so little ministry can be done. But if the church is together doing ministry, so much more effective. So how do pastors equip you? Just a few minutes on this, because that's what he's saying, pastors and teachers to equip you. Uh, Here's the ways I think they they help equip you. One, they feed. So a pastor is a shepherd. So these are kind of shepherd imagery here. They feed you. Uh, How do they do that spiritually I'm talking about? Uh, They preach and teach the word. Uh, they're, They're helping you understand and apply the scriptures. And friends, I would just say there's nothing like local pastors to do that. Yes, you can go and listen to Charles Stanley and listen to, in fact, you can listen to pastors who, have, who are long since dead and were great preachers, and you can learn an immense from them, and I encourage you to do that. Go listen to John MacArthur or Alistair Begg or whoever it is. Learn and gain as much as you can, but there is also something about a local pastor who knows you personally, knows this church, your church specifically, and is caring for you and is taking the word and applying it locally to you. He feeds you. Uh, a local pastor, I believe, pastors and teacher, they equip you by guiding you, <laughs> overseeing and leading the, the larger picture uh, so you can focus in on ministry. Uh, the idea is not that we have everybody voting on every issue and making a decision on every issue of the church. I, I spoke to a man who doesn't come to this church, but he started coming and he said, uh, I believe that the, the church... Everybody in the church should vote on every issue that the church uh, does. Every decision that the church makes, every member should vote on. And I thought, 
so what I preach on? I mean, everything? No, no, not that. Well, then we went through different issues and it's like, well, you, you can't have everybody vote on every issue. You get, there has to be some decision making when it comes to law. It's one of the things we try to work through in our constitution. What you want, friends, is for leaders to allow the work of ministry to pave the way that you can focus on, on ministering to one another and to our community. Care. Sometimes the sheep are in need. There is a problem. There's a difficulty. Uh, and there is counseling needed or care needed. That's why Pastor Mike right now is working on his doctor of ministry in counseling in particular to increase uh, his counseling ministry for the church, whether here or in the broader sense too. I've seen uh, Mike ministering to people uh, from our church and others in counseling, a visit in times when people are in the hospital, <laughs> uh, when people are sick uh, or sometimes even on, on death's door. I told Jess, as a pastor, sometimes I feel like I feel like an angel of death <laughs> because I'm, I'm the last person somebody sees sometimes before they die. But really, that's a great privilege to use that time to remind people of our hope in Christ. To help through those special times like weddings and funerals. Uh, this week, of course, I, as I said in the prayer, uh, we had a, a, just a joyful wedding to celebrate Christian and Jen Simpson coming together. We also had a funeral um, for Joanne Pelzar's husband, Tommy. Many of you guys remember Joanne. The time is of special need of care. But also remember this, friends, that pastors are part of the body. <laughs> They're part of the body as well. And I'm, I'm a member here too, so I'm not just here to equip, but I'm also here to do ministry with one another and hopefully try to lead by example. Uh, this is my church family. This is not just my job. I was baptized here. I was married here. I want to be involved in a community group. I'm here to share the gospel with my non-Christian friends and encourage them to come. A few weeks ago, I had a, a friend from high school, not a Christian, who was sitting with me here, and I was hoping that he was going to hear the gospel as well. So, friends, I'm, we're, as pastors, we're members of the church also ministering to one another, but here to equip. God gives us good pastors and teachers to equip us and then verse 14, I want to take by itself, we mature in the faith by biblical understanding. A biblical understanding. Look at verse 14. That maturity leads us to stand on firm, sound doctrine. On biblical understanding. He says, so that you would no longer be children. I love that. There's, there's nothing wrong with being a kid, of course. We have kids here with us. Okay, no, no, no. We're going to miss when the kids all go upstairs for Kid Town. I like having the kids here with us. Nothing wrong with being a kid, but if you stay a child forever, something's wrong. For the rest of your life, something's wrong. Right? There's a time to grow up. Uh, if, in fact, if, if a kid is not growing properly, it's time to go see a doctor. It's time to say something is, is off here. Uh, something needs to be treated. There's some intervention needed here. You don't want to stay a kid Forever, help is needed. And so it is, friends, with us spiritually. You don't want to stay a child forever. You should be growing. He describes here as being tossed by the waves, you know, like a little toddler playing in the undertow. Right? That's dangerous. They should be eventually growing up and be able to swim in deeper waters or blown by the wind, unable to stand like a reed that isn't strong enough to withhold the winds. He says, because there is an enemy. There's human cunning. There's craftiness in deceitful schemes. There is false teaching and heresy. It's been that way for 2,000 years. It doesn't look like it's going to stop until Christ returns. There will always be false teaching out there. And the goal here is for the church to be mature, to be able to handle 
false teaching. I'll just give you some examples of, of, of other views that are out there. Uh, there. First of all, there are other religions. Now, obviously, I, I think we should learn about other religions. I think we should uh, be humble about it. But are you firm in your own faith? Did you know what you yourself believe in your Christian faith? Are you blown back and forth like a wind, by the wind or by every wave of teaching? Then there are obvious cults. Uh, so cults are those who claim to be within the Christian faith but are not. Uh, you have, of course, the Jehovah's Witness and Mormons. But then there are less obvious false teachings. There's what's called the prosperity gospel. It's all about that. This, your faith is all about gaining riches and health and prosperity in this world. It's a view that God exists to serve you <laughs> rather than the other way around. And then there are other issues that we face daily. The spirit of this age, that there are many ways to God. There are many paths. Jesus isn't the only way. He's just a way. That it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe in something that something may be true for you and it's not true for me. These are all just sort of the spirit of this age. Is your faith strong enough to handle the various winds and waves of teaching? Friends, we should be maturing towards a biblical understanding. Here's a simple test. Would you say that you know the Bible better now than you did a year ago? Very easy question. Do you understand the word better? I get it. It's not simply about knowledge. Knowledge isn't everything. Uh, but it's a place to start. Do you know the scriptures more now than you did before? And just as a brief overview of scripture, just uh, take us just a, one minute here. Uh, do you know that the Bible was written 2,000 years ago? Over thousands, well, the last book of the Bible was written about 2,000 years ago. That the Bible was written over hundreds of years uh, by various authors. That it's made up of two testaments. And some of you guys are saying, of course I know this. Trust me, there are folks here, I'm sure, who don't know this. There are two testaments. There's the Old Testament. And there is the New Testament. And the thing that divides them is Jesus. Uh, when Jesus himself was born, that starts the New Testament. Before Jesus was born, that's the Old Testament. God's specific work with his people Israel. Over hundreds of years, over centuries. The 66 books, uh, they're made up of all different types of literature, including history. Uh, songs. Letters, like we're looking at right now, to the Ephesians. And prophecies. And friends, if you look at the prophecies, you'll see amazing, specific prophecies that are clearly fulfilled mostly in Jesus. The Bible begins with the Torah. That's the, it starts with creation and the giving of the law, the moral law. It talks about the historical books. Then you have the Psalms and the Book of Wisdom. And then you have a lot of prophecy. Those long books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. When you come to the New Testament, you have the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell the story of Jesus' life. You have the book of Acts, which tells the story of the early church in its earliest years. And then you have what's called the epistles, which are really letters, that from, uh, the, mostly from Paul. Uh, James said that Paul wrote the New Testament. That's not entirely true, as you know, James, but he wrote much of the New Testament. He wrote mostly those letters. And then finally, the book of Revelation, which is kind of a unique book that uses a lot of symbolism to talk about Christ's return. But all of this tells us about God's saving plan for sinners and how we can know God more. Friends, I, I would just encourage you uh, to, to be firm in your faith, it means to know the scriptures, it means to know good theology, understanding church history, studying and understanding heresies, friends, to read books that are good for your soul.
And I wonder, this is a good test as well. If all your pastors and if all your elders in there, let's say we're going on some pastor elder retreat, we get into some nasty bus, bus accident and we're gone. <laughs> what would the church do? Would you be able to continue on, find a, another uh, pastor uh, who knows the scriptures, be able to have the discernment to understand what a Bible-believing uh, pastor looks like and what he teaches? Or another example is, let's say you have a guest preacher, and he comes in, and none of us are here, and, and he starts preaching, and he preaches something that's clearly off. Would you be able to discern, to recognize that? Do you have the firmness of faith? And then in verses 15 to 16, we mature in faith by everyone growing in Christ. Everyone growing in Christ. A Jesus-centered community, everyone should be maturing in Christ. Speaking the truth in love. I love that. It's not just truth. It's also love. If you're someone who says, look, I speak the truth. I don't care what, it, what anyone thinks about it. That, that's not done in love. If you're someone who says, I love people. I don't really care about the truth. You're missing the truth part of it. Speaking the truth in love. That way everyone grows up into Christ, who's the head of the body. And we're like tissues and organs of the body. And he's the head. And we grow only by staying connected to him. I like how he says, everyone, everyone in the church is growing. Every joint, each part is working. That the whole of the body is building itself up in love. The church should be a place where everyone is growing and maturing. You know, it doesn't matter your starting point. Uh, we all start in different places. The question is, are you growing? Uh, C.S. Lewis talks a little bit about this. I, I like it. He, he says, imagines two fictional people, Mr. Firkin, who has a very even temper, <laughs> a placid temper, and Miss Bates, who he describes as having an unkind tongue. <laughs> She's a, a kind of a, a bad temperament, a, kind of a nasty woman. And what happens is both of them come to faith. What's going to happen? Well, of course, Mr. Firkin is going to seem a lot further along than Miss Bates because he's just naturally more easygoing, naturally more nice. But Miss Bates becomes a Christian just the same, and she's going to seem like an unkind, mean-spirited woman, but the God is doing the same work in her as he's doing in him. They just started at a different place. And I just want to encourage you, friends, it doesn't matter where you are, question is whether God has begun working in your life through Christ. This is a quote from uh, Mere Christianity. I encourage you to read that book if you get a chance by, by C.S. Lewis. But he writes this, but if you are a poor creature, poisoned by a wretched upbringing in some house full of vulgar jealousies and senseless quarrels, saddled by no choice of your own with some loathsome sexual perversion, Nag day and day out by an inferiority complex that makes you snap at your best friends. Do not despair. He knows all about it. You are one of the poor whom he blessed. He knows what a wretched machine you are trying to drive. <laughs> Keep on. Do what you can. One day, perhaps in another world, but perhaps far sooner than that, he will fling it on the scrap heap and give you a new one. And then you may astonish us all, not least yourself, for you have learned your driving in a hard school. Some of the last will be first, and the first will be last. It doesn't matter where your starting point is. The question is, are you growing and maturing in Christ by the power of the gospel? 
Friends, we all grow at different paces as well. Someone may be slow in their growth. That's okay. Give it time. Some people take years to grow. Others grow faster. The question is, is it real and genuine growth? Friends, we grow connected to Jesus. It's not just God in general, but Jesus, Christ specifically. It's not just about self-help and improvement, but are you really growing and maturing in your faith? Friends, we want everyone growing. Everyone at FBC growing. Uh, that's why we're clear about membership, by the way, and our new constitution has been so helpful uh, to, to, to meet with people, to understand where they're coming from and where they're at has been extremely helpful. Uh, we got rid of inactive membership, by the way, because that's a contradiction. That's a, uh, those two words don't actually go together. How can you have somebody who's a member of the body and is inactive? That doesn't even make any sense. You have inactive people, perhaps, but a member is somebody who is actively part of the membership. An active member is redundant. <laughs> a member is part of our body. Uh, we have clear steps of discipleship. Uh, you know, hopefully you know where you are. Step one is to join us for worship here on Sunday morning, which you're doing right now. Uh, step two is to consider membership. That's for us to know where you're at, to get baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you attend the membership class and sort of gives us a sense of who you are. Step three is to get involved in a community group so important. That's a place where you're going to grow deeper in relationship with other people. And step four is to then find the ministry that God has called you to, to be actively doing ministry daily. Friends, that's also why we have ministry for all ages. That's our goal. We have nursery for the little kids, and we take that very seriously, ministering to the youngest kid town, all the way up to, of course, our widows, who, again, I say our our widows fellowship has got to be one of the I see more laughter and joy coming from that group than almost any other group. So, but, uh, so we want to minister to everyone at every stage in life, all growing in Christ. Friends, if you're not growing, maybe you're saying, well, it's the church's fault. And maybe it is. Maybe we missed you somehow. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe you didn't jump in. It doesn't matter. Either way, <laughs> let's get you growing. Let's get involved so that the whole church is maturing. Every tissue and every ligament. Jesus-centered community seeks maturity and faith. We mature by pursuing unity. We are one. We mature by good leaders equipping us. That's why God raises up pastors and elders. And we mature by everyone growing connected to Jesus. Well, friends, when you think about where do people grow most naturally? When you think of kids in particular, where do they grow? In a family. That's where kids grow, hopefully. They're growing up in a family. Well, friends, that's what we are called to be as a church. A spiritual family. This is my family. (laughs) I've heard it said before that people think that God uses the family as an illustration of the church. But it's actually the other way around. The church is the true family that God has created. And we see that modeled and echoed in our own families. We are family, brothers and sisters in Christ, with one God and Father of us all. Friends, may we as a Jesus-centered community be maturing together. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you so much for this church family. I know some here have been here for a long time, and some are new to this body. Some are visiting. But Lord, we're grateful, so grateful for what you're doing here and among churches all over the world. 
as a people connected to Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would continue to pursue unity, Lord. I thank you so much that we can see tangibly a move towards greater unity together. I pray you'd help us to continue to mature as a family. I pray, Father, that every joint and ligament in this body would be growing. Lord, you have a way of reaching us where we're at. As we said, everyone has different starting points and people grow at different paces. But no one would be left out. That all of us, from our kids to our adults, everyone, male and female, would be maturing in our faith in the Lord Jesus as a Jesus-centered community. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.